I kind of got a family announcement thing, and then I want to pray. Um, this is a piece of steel, and it's got a writing on it. Uh, so uh, next Sunday night, we're doing the uh, Raise the Roof, I think it's called, and uh, that's, that's basically this. Uh, they're going to open the doors to the new children's wing, and then we get to go in and basically bless that place. And so we'll be given markers, and we'll write all over it, and uh, nice things, and we'll write uh, scripture. And, uh, and, and so uh, part of that building process, they had to cut out uh, one of the side walls of, our, of this building, and uh, that's like nine inches of concrete they had to cut through. It was amazing. And, um, and when they cut through it, uh, the guy that was doing some of the cutting knew me, and he said, hey, Tom, and he took a picture of this, and he said, you want this? And, uh, and so he saved it for me. But this is from when we built this building. So many of you came in, and we wrote all over everything, and we blessed it. Well, this was from that. And it says here, it says, a 2012, may God guide. All, can you all even see it? Why am I holding it up right now? So uh, may God guide all these little children to him. Isn't that pretty cool? And so that's what we're going to do uh, next Sunday night. Uh, so come be a part of it and, um, and write on the building and bless it for generations to come. That's, that's going to be an awesome thing to do. Uh, also, it's a special weekend uh, for our country where we, uh, it's kind of this weird, weird, as you try to communicate about Memorial Day, it's always weird to know how to communicate about it. So we say we celebrate Memorial Day, but it's really not a celebration. Uh, it's actually kind of just a, an honoring, if you will. And so I'm going to do my best to guide us through prayer uh, about Memorial Day without uh, using the wrong words. And so uh, let me see if we can do that. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for this beautiful place and these beautiful people and the high honor of, of being here in your presence together. Thank you for allowing us to worship together. And Lord, it is a weekend where we remember folks that paid uh, the ultimate price uh, for our behalf so that we can continue to enjoy what we currently enjoy. And I know, uh, you know, we have so many folks that are part of the Alive community, and some are from this country, others from other countries. But we all just want to pause and acknowledge that, uh, man, laying down one's life for something they believe in is a significant thing. And so we, in this moment, honor those who have indeed paid that price and are grateful for all the freedoms and liberties that we enjoy. And we ask, Father, that uh, we would now not take that for granted, but we would build on that sacrifice and actually make this even better, uh, make this world and this country and uh, the communities we're a part of even stronger as we continue, Father, to honor you with this one and only life. Uh, again, Lord, for the next few moments, I pray you'd hide me deep in your cross. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Uh, we've been looking at Psalm 23. If you're just visiting, uh, Psalm 23 is this kind of metaphor for us uh, of what God does in our lives. It's basically this. Uh, God leads us like, like a shepherd. See, I'm sheep. He's the shepherd. And so God leads us like sheep. He tends and care for us, cares for, for us, cares for me as a kind of as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor. He, he guides and, and, and he does that for all of us. But it's not just, not just as individuals that he does that. He also does that for us as a church. He, he shepherds our church, and he leads and, and cares and tends for, tends to his bride. So the, way that God, the ways that God leads us become things that we feel passionate about. Because not only is it true in my one and only life, it's also true in this community that's called Alive that many of us value. And so we get kind of intense about it. And in fact, we are so intense about it, we basically say this, this core value series, these are the hills we'll die on. <laughs> these are the things that are, we feel that strongly about. So even if I was not in this place right now, if I wasn't on a platform but I was in the privacy of my own home, 
these are still values that are part of my life that I want to pass on to my kids. Lisa and I are working to pass on to our kids, and, and it's just kind of what we, what we live our lives by. And, um, and, and basically, it's because of this. These core values that we're talking about, we, we think that it's the way that Jesus said it will lead to abundant life or life to the full. And so the idea is if any one of us will commit to lead, live our lives by these values, we think life is better. Life is on purpose the way God intended. So the first value we said was biblical authority. And that's basically this. Uh, the scripture says, the Lord is my shepherd, all caps. That's Jehovah. That's Yahweh. The Lord Almighty is my shepherd. And he has revealed himself. It's not like you have to go and kind of like, you know, smell incense and try to figure out who God is. He's actually revealed himself uh, in scripture. We think of the scripture not just being his word, but actually his voice. And so uh, he will teach us through the scripture the best way to do life. So for us as a church, as individuals, the Bible has authority here, and it comes under all kinds of attack, and everybody tries to figure out loopholes, but we believe that following the Bible teaches us an abundant life. Second thing we teach is this, relational intimacy. Um, he restores my soul, the psalmist says, and makes a way for this jacked up life to be actually what it was created to be to take this sin-filled existence that all of us, at least most of us, have identified and understand, and we can actually live life for what we were created for. He restores us back, if you will, to who he intended us to be. Authentic community. Even though we pass through the valleys in life, even though that's part of it, uh, God is still present. He, He promises us his presence, and he protects and he guides us one of the ways that he protects and guides us in this world is through each other, through people who are willing to do life together and do life in a very real, authentic kind of way. And that's an important piece to this abundant life. So last week, uh, we ended with a particular verse, and I left off the last part of the verse because I wanted to save it for this week because it's just an amazing truth. And I'll, So let me just share with you what, I, what I've been thinking about. Psalm 23, 4 says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, everybody gets it, I will fear no evil. And we need to pause there long enough to say this. There are all kinds of things and all kinds of people that are trying to shepherd us. Or all kinds of things trying to lead and guide and tend to us in our lives. Everything's trying to get us to shape an opinion and, and, and form a conviction and, and, and tempt us or lure us into whatever. There are all kinds of shepherds because we're all sheep. And so there are all kinds of shepherds trying to help us or trying to lead us in a certain, certain way. Make no mistake, let me say it even more specifically and more directly, the devil is trying to shepherd you. He is trying to get you to do and to be something that he desires for you. And all of us at one point or another have been shepherded by evil. We have the scars, if you will, to show it. You know, evil's around in this valley of the shadow of death, trying to shepherd us all through life. And everybody gets it. If we took time, we could share. You know, pain happens in our lives, and betrayal happens in our lives, and perversion happens in our lives, and loss happens, and mistakes happen, and bad choices happen, and loyalty is lost, and fear settles in, and shame and regret become these companions. So this whole idea of fearing no evil in the middle of the shadow of death, that's a legit thing we actually get. Directly after this verse, though, Right after this whole I'll fear no evil thing, David comes to this aha moment that's been lighting me up recently. He he recognizes all the incredible things that God has done for him, 
even though there's evil, even though there are other things trying to shepherd him, he focuses on God being this good shepherd in the midst of evil. He restores my soul. He leads me to green pastures and calm waters. He guides and protects. And knowing all of this, David puts God's shepherding of me, God's guiding and directing me to the ultimate test. Because David takes all of who God is and he places it in a context nobody saw coming. In the next verses, this is what it says. You, God, Lord Almighty, Yahweh, all caps kind of thing, prepare, prepare a table before me, look, in the very presence, if you will, of evil. Even in the midst of it. Even, even in the midst of all the nasty and all the perversion and the meanness and the yuckiness and all the other bad words of evil, you're, you've prayed a table right in the middle of it. And in the middle of it, this is so amazing, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. That's an incredible, encouraging thought. There, there's another picture being made here that you and I probably aren't going to grasp if we aren't kind of aware of some of what David's context was. So, so in David con, David's context, uh, it was this. It was normal if there was a weaker king who his country was maybe like losing money or maybe there were pestilence or something was going on or maybe they were threatened by another king. It was very common for that weaker king to go to a stronger king and said, hey, can we be part of your kingdom now? You'll be the big king and I'll be like a vassal or something. I mean, you're the one in charge. That was a very common thing. And if the stronger king said yes, the weaker king, the way they would say it, was now welcome to sit at the stronger king's table. You follow? So the weaker king is now sitting at the stronger king's table and what that meant is the stronger king would protect and care for the weaker king. What David is saying here is this. Even in the midst of evil, even when all these things are around trying to destroy, I sit at the stronger king's table. That should make you a little happier than you currently are expressing. Okay, that's, that's a good news. That's good news. If that's not good news to you, the rest of it's going to really depress you, okay? That is incredibly good news that we are sitting at, a, at the stronger king's table. And not just that, God has actually prepared a banquet table for David. A place where David can receive all that God has for him in abundance. In abundance he can. So in the psalm, this banquet table where David can receive all that God has for him is placed, theological term, smack dab in the middle of the enemies. So what that means, just to kind of preach a minute, is this. If your life is kind of uphill right now, and if you're facing evil, it seems like at every turn, don't be alarmed. The stronger king has set up a banquet table, smack dab in the middle of it, and he can care for you there. Don't worry about it. Stay true. Stay focused on the stronger king. He will guide you through that. It's what he does. It's who he is. So while David is saying, while my enemies, those who would destroy or discourage or misdirect or, <clears throat> or hurt, while the enemies prowl and threaten and snarl, David is feasting at the strong king's table under the stronger king's protection and provision. The stronger king, the Lord Almighty, pours out such blessing, David says, that he anoints my head with oil and my cup runs over. I grew up with the translation, my cup runneth over. Runneth. Isn't that a great? Runneth. You can just say it. Runneth over. That, that, that's what I grew up. 
And so as David is reflecting on what God has done for him in buckets, overflowing, he begins to rethink his strategy for life and wonders. The fact that he is now sitting at the stronger king's table, his head has been anointed, he has a cup that is overflowing, even in the midst of enemies. And David looks at all that and says, I've got to do something with that. This certainly can't be just for me. Because his heart is all of a sudden aware that he has received abundant blessing. In other words, it's too much for David to contain. It's actually being wasted because it's overflowing onto all of the table. And we see a dramatic change in David. He's overwhelmed with being the object of God's desire and his cup overflows. I'll give you an example of this. Y'all, y'all ever messed with the babies? Like when they first come out, they're like a little red gerbil. They're not a whole lot of fun. But you put them under the warmer, and they get, so eventually come to, you know, they live up or whatever. And then, like, eventually they, like, all they do is eat and sleep and the other thing. That's all they do, like, for, like, I don't know, a, a long time. And then, eventually, the baby can start react to, reacting to you. Do you remember? So, like, the baby, like, they, they can't, like catch the football or anything like that. But I mean, they, they, they start like, they can smile. And you remember when parents, you celebrate that? Like, oh, look at the baby smile, which is not a big deal. Every baby's ever done it. But when it's your baby, you think, oh, look at that. That's the best smile. And so you, you have this moment where the baby smiles. And not that when a baby smiles, because they can't move. It's like a turtle on the back of a shell. And so when they smile, their whole body gets involved, right? You, you know what I'm talking about? Their arms and their legs. I'm sorry, I had to move my hips right there. But that, that's kind of the only way they can tell you what it was. And so when a baby smiles at you, they'll smile at the whole body. That's what they do. But if you've ever noticed a baby, a baby can't maintain eye contact with you throughout the entire smile. What a baby will do is, a baby will kind of lock eyes with that point, mom or dad or whatever, and they get all grinny-faced, and then they'll look away, and then they come back, right? Have you ever noticed that? Because a baby can't handle it. A baby can't handle that emotional intensity that they're feeling, and they have to kind of grow into that. That's why babies can't lock eyes. They just stay, bleh, bleh. You know, they'd go nuts. They'd go bonkers if that's what happened. I'm sure there's a medical term for all of it. I just don't know any of it. So you can just kind of flow with that. I would suggest that this is what's kind of happening with David. His whole body's wiggling up there. He's seeing what God has done on his behalf. And it's blowing him away. It's too much to even comprehend what God has done for him. And so it's only natural that David would write just a couple of psalms later when he's writing in his poem book or whatever. He writes, taste and see. Everybody taste and see that the Lord, all caps, is good. Yahweh is good. So here's the reality. If the value we're going to discuss today is not in place, nobody tastes and nobody sees. Come and see that the Lord is good. The Lord has prepared an abundant table. But if we don't individually, corporately embrace this value, the whole thing falls flat. Because the reality is, I can't fix anybody. I've tried. I can't. Alive can't fix anybody. In fact, that's not even the church's job, not even what God expects. What we do is we set a table week in, week out, and this church is day in and day out. Small groups, 
the growing place, groups of me in the church, Sunday mornings, we set a table for people to come and see and taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what we do. So what if we looked at Sunday morning or all the ministries of Alive as a table, a banquet that we prepare for people to come and see? God is the greater king. He's the powerful king. And we're sitting at his table. And we're overwhelmed in the moment with his provision and his protection. And we think of where our family would be, where our marriage would be, where our children would be if God had not placed his provision and protection on us. And we become overwhelmed. And a change happens, not in all of us, but a change happens in some of us, where we move from a me-centered faith to an idea of, man, my cup is overflowing. What could I do for someone else? And when that happens, everything changes in the walk of a Christian. When it's moved from all about me and becoming spiritually obese, I'm so overnourished with God, to maybe I'm supposed to use this. Maybe God has given me to this for a reason. Then we become missional people, missional leaders. Jesus referenced this by something he said in the New Testament that, to be honest with you, bothered me for years. Basically, Jesus was saying this. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. Not true. I mean, you know, it's true. I mean, he said that, and it isn't, but there's nothing new here. Think about it. Even if you don't believe, you would say this is one of the principles of humanity. Fair enough. Just love people. That's what we're supposed to do. Just love each other. What does love mean? I don't know. <laughs> but that's what we're supposed to do. So there's nothing new here at all. And yet Jesus started his statement by saying, a new command I give you, love one another. But there's nothing new. Humanity's always been called to love. Even other faiths call it a love. What is new is actually the second half of this verse. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Now that part's a little bit new. Because now Jesus has been walking the planet and he's loved on people. And so now he says, oh, you're saying love one another like you have loved us. Now here's the part that kind of has been puzzling me. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. And you would think the rest of the verse would go something like this. Love one another as I have loved you, you love me back. Since I loved you like this, you love me back. You would think that would be it. But see, Jesus is issuing a new command. And the new command that will totally kind of mess with us as far as our default settings in life is this. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Ready? So you must love one another. He's not saying that because I've been loved and Jesus given that I'm supposed to love him. He's saying because I've received from him and the love he's poured out for me, I'm supposed to figure out what it means to love you. Now, let's think about that just a moment. Because Jesus has loved us well, he has set this table in the middle of our enemies. We're protected and we cared for and his blessings overflow. Then he gives us new command. And that's a game changer, to be honest with you, because I don't naturally love people well. And I certainly don't love them like Jesus loved me. One's relationship to God 
is never and has never been solely about loving God and asking God to love you. That's not it. So if your whole engagement with Christianity is about loving God and having him love you, you may be seeing the parade, but you haven't seen the circus. You've seen just a small piece of what the kingdom of God really is. It's a new command. God has always intended for his love that he has given to us to overflow in our lives to other people. Get this part. Even the lives of people who are our enemies. Now we get we're not on some graduate level love, don't we? You see, it'd be easy if it was all about loving people who are in my family. Because that's natural. Of course I love Lise and the kids. Of course I do. I love them a bunch. Of course I do. Most of the time, it'd be really easy to love most of you people. And I'm sure the opposite would be true, too. Some of you would say, I love Tom. Others of you, why are we here? You know, I understand that. I get it. I do. I do. But as I read the psalm, it's not just that. It's I'm actually supposed to love even the enemies, my enemies. This is a call for us to love mean people. People who stabbed us on Facebook. People who vote differently than we did. People who behave differently. People who talk badly about me. People who hurt me. People who don't like your children. There's a biggie. That's a new command. And you know what? You don't have a snowball's chance of doing it. And neither do I. Not in and of myself. There's no way that's going to happen. Don't you find that you can actually just drive and feel anything but love towards someone who just cut you off? And then we go into instruction mode. Is your blinker broke? You know, I mean, we do all that kind of thing. Do you not see the merge sign? <laughs> oh, there's a live sticker. Bless you. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I've done it. I, mean, I understand, yeah. How in the world are we going to do this, people? Because I can't naturally make myself do it. I can't. I cannot naturally make myself love people that are different than I am. Can't do it. So when Jesus leaves to go to be with the Heavenly Father, you can read about it in the New Testament if you want to. When he did, he made this promise. And the promise was he would send the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. So that now people who believe... The Holy Spirit resides in you, in your soul. And if you missed a couple weeks ago, we talked about the soul. Like if the body is the glove, the soul is actually the hand inside the glove. And this Holy Spirit apparently lives now within that soul, according to Jesus' promise. I know this is really getting weird for some of you. In the book of Acts, Peter stands up. He addresses the crowd who just killed the Son of God. And Peter calls him out on it and says, hey, y'all just killed the Son of God. People in the crowd says, Oh, snap, what are we going to do now? <laughs> it's in the Bible, not those snap, but the other part is in the Bible. What are we going to do now? Because they have just killed the Son of God. Pretty much sure that's like a no comeback from kind of statement. Peter said, here's what you do. Repent and be baptized. 
when you repent. Now, repent means this. It means sorry enough to quit. The way we say it alive is repent is to rethink how you think about everything. I've given you a new command, so now we can rethink how we think about everything. But when you repent, two things happen. Stay with me. It's important if we're going to get to this core value. First thing that happens is your sins are immediately forgiven. All of the things that you've done in your life and that I've done in my life that grieve the heart of God, we ask God to forgive us, and he does. When we repent, that happens. You're made right with your creator. There are still consequences. I'm not trying to sell you a bill of goods because you're too intelligent for that. You get it. I get it. But we no longer have to carry guilt or carry shame because we made, we've been made right by Jesus. But here's the second thing that happens when we repent. The Holy Spirit moves inside of our souls just like Jesus promised it would. Just like Jesus promised he would. And when the Holy Spirit moves inside of your soul, two things happen. First, your life, my life, slowly, not all at once, begins to reflect the fruit of the Spirit. Your cup begins to run over with the fruit of the Spirit. Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit this way. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. This is one of my favorite parts of the whole Bible. Against such thing, there is no law. In other words, do as much of that as you want. Have at it. You want to rebel? Well, mess yourself up. <laughs> There's no law against this. You can do all of it you want. You mean I can get all kind of freaking how kind I am? Get your freak on. That's exactly what you can do. How gentle? Absolutely. Self-controlled, go ahead, set a whole new bar. Love, self-control, joy, peace, you can do all that. This is a pretty big deal. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you were to interview one of Jesus' contemporaries, and you said, hey, could you tell us, what's Jesus like? What was Jesus like when you walked and talked and lived with Jesus, whatever? What would it be like? Well, they would use these words to describe Jesus. And over time, as you begin your new relationship with Jesus, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and you get accustomed to hearing the words of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, never contrary to Scripture, always within the context of Scripture, these become true of you as well. Now hear me on this. Don't get discouraged. I don't think you graduate from this class. It's a constant journey where God teaches us things. And so there are times we blow it. Anybody want to give a witness? Just on one word, right? Anybody want to? Just one word. I mean, if you have children, children, if you have parents, surely you understand that this one word, how about that? That doggone neighbor doesn't care the little bag when they walk the dog. But anyway, I mean, I'm just saying, there's all kinds of issues, you know. But every once in a while, man, you'll kind of function in life, and you'll, you'll walk through a scenario, walk through a situation, and you say, man, I nailed that. Where'd that come from? It came from the Holy Spirit in you, working in you. That's a big deal. But there's another thing that happens once we repent, and the Holy Spirit lives in us. Not only are we given the kind of the fruits of the Spirit that become to kind of characterize our lives, but according to what God's Word says, we all receive, everybody, everybody who repents, receives 
special gifts from the Holy Spirit. You got them. I do too. Everybody has them. And the reason you receive these gifts, here's the big change, isn't for you. The reason God has given you these gifts isn't for you. But the reason we receive these gifts is for the new command is so that you and I are actually going to be able to love one another. <clears throat> the reason that you and I are given a certain amount of gifts, <clears throat> sorry, I think I swallowed a bird. And so that you and I can do the new command of loving one another. What are you trying to say, Tom? It's this. Jesus wants everybody who's spiritually hungry, which I think is everybody on the planet, to come and to sit at his table, to taste and see that the Lord is good. And while there, he wants to restore their souls. How does that happen? Well, Psalm 23, 5. You and I get to such a point in our relationship with God and the Holy Spirit that we begin to do for others what Jesus has done for us. We invite them to a table that has been prepared. And that is what Alive does. That's what all churches do. We prepare a banquet week after week, day after day. And then we allow the fruit of the Spirit to characterize our lives and we serve out of the overflow of our gifts. Now, one caution about gifts. Because as soon as I started talking about the Holy Spirit gifts, some of y'all started stacking a wall between me and you because you got burned somewhere along the way. And I get it, I understand. Here's the reality. The shepherd, the people trying to shepherd us, there's a good shepherd and there's bad shepherds. The bad shepherds will actually use our gifts to divide bodies like this one. To actually hurt. The bad shepherd will use my gifts to hurt you and your gifts to hurt me. That's why Paul says that the greatest gift is actually love. 1 Corinthians 13. When you read 1 Corinthians 13, we use it at weddings all the time. I think Lisa and I use it at our wedding, but it's actually in reference to spiritual gifts. So the greatest gift is love. And any time a gift is expressed that is not done in love, that's an obnoxious thing. I think of it a cowbell moment where you're just kind of bonk, 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 bonk. And the scripture talks about, you know, clanging cymbal, which is more poetic. But I think cowbell, and since we're in Central, I think that would fit. So anyway, that's kind of the cowbell thing. That's what I think. It's not meant kind of to be divisions, not meant to cause divide. This isn't an exclusive list, but here's just some examples of what's in Scripture. You can read it for yourself. Depending on what list you look at, there's 23, there's 26. You can read it for yourself. Teaching, generosity, mercy, leadership, administrative, administration, hospitality, encouragement, intercession, wisdom, faith. Everybody has a gift. Some of us have many gifts. So when you look at your life and you walk into a certain room and you can't stand the room and you've got to organize all the books according to title and you've got to put the paper clips in the little bin and then you've got to straighten the candle up and you've got to trim the plant and that's kind of who you are, you may need medication, but it also may be part of your spiritual gift set. <laughs> if you walk into a room and you can't help but you go to a restaurant and you start thinking, man, who's in charge? That person ought to be doing that. That person ought to do that. That person's missing that. Well, you may have the spiritual gift. You may be obnoxious, I know, but you may have that spiritual gift. Some of you walk into a group of people, and people love to be with you because it's like a, a soda can of rainbows every time you're in the room and you just talk to them. Why? You got this gift. This is you. 
You can't wait to be with those people. I got to tell you this story, and I'm, I don't know where I'm going to sleep this evening, but I got to tell you this story because Lise has this gift, and, and she loves to pray. I mean, she prays for hours, hours, I'm telling you people, hours. So my son and I um, always are kind of cautious after dinner when mom will say, hey, let's have some prayer before we go. Your compassion's overwhelming, okay? None of y'all have that one, I can tell you that. And so it's just out of this way to kind of, kind of, kind of feel her out, so to speak. And so Thomas will lock eyes with me, and I'll lock eyes with him. You ask her, you're the son, she won't kill you, you know, that kind of thing. And so we'll say something like, that's a great idea, how, how long are we going to pray? <laughs> And then the kids have gotten really smart as they've gotten older. They'll say, I'll tell you what, Dad, why don't you just pray? Why don't you just pray for all of us? You know, because they know it'll be a quick thing. <laughs> Some of you have that gift, and it's important. It matters. And you can do it for hours because you have a gift. This, if... Some of you have this gift. You do. If it's yours, you can give, you give it away to anybody. Probably drives the person you live with bonkers, but you'll give it away. That's you. And the reason that you have been given a gift is so you can be part of setting the banquet table for people to come and see Jesus and taste and see that he is good. That's why you have a gift. Your gift was not given to you in order for you to make a living off its back. That's not the goal of the gift. It's a way for you to build up and to be part of advancing the kingdom of God. That's the gift. And it comes when the Holy Spirit lives in here. And now you're ready to hear value number four of our church. We are committed to reflecting the purpose and personality of Jesus by leveraging our God-given gifts for the benefit of others, both inside and outside the church. That's what this thing runs on. We don't have to wait on Jesus Revival, revival is not waiting on God. He is here. He is advancing through the Holy Spirit. What we're waiting on is for people like you and people like me to begin to serve out of his abundance. That's what we're waiting on. And you are a vital part of the kingdom of God advancing. And you have been gifted for this task. You have, every one of you, everybody. The only question is what you're going to do at the banquet table of God. I put it like this. I long for the day of the life when this will all be true of us. Everybody serves somewhere. Everybody gives something. Everybody helps someone so that everybody has a place at the table. That's what I think the motto of our church should be. <laughs> everybody serves somewhere. I'm so busy. Oh, shut up. Yes, you are. But so are a whole lot of other people. Everybody's busy. Everybody. Our kids have calendars now. I don't even know what they do. I mean, our kid has a calendar. I'm like, how do you do that? Everybody's busy. It's not about that. It's about leveraging what is most important to do what is most important. Everybody gives something. You're talking about money? Well, duh, I'm a pastor. Of course I'm talking about money. But it's not just that. It's not just that. It's time, talent, and treasure. Everybody helps someone. So that everybody has a place at the table. Tom, what's the point? Let me put it like this. Last estimate I heard, there are like 2 billion people who would call themselves Christians on the planet. 2 billion. How do you think the world 
would be different. If all two billion people decided at the same time to serve somewhere, to give something, and to help someone. Tom has two billion people on the planet. It's never going to happen. Okay, I'll give you that. But what if just 2,000 of us did it in our community? What do you think that would do? How do you think that would impact our schools, hospitals, sports arenas? If just, just us, just us, no one else, just me and you, decided we're going to serve somewhere, give something, help someone, send someone to seat at the table. See, that's what the kingdom of God looks like. Read it for yourself and see if you find something different. And if you don't do it, if I don't do it, the kingdom of God doesn't advance. So I think every genuine follower of Christ ought to be able to point to an answer for each one of those areas. I do. That's a deep conviction. And when you see me in the lobby, you ought to be able to ask me. And I ought to be able to ask you, when you see me in the community, the same thing. Tom, who are you serving? Tom, who are you giving to? Tom, are you helping someone? So that everybody has a seat at the table. Christianity is not and never was, never was an observer sport. It's not something where you pay an entry to get into the room and then you watch what takes place by the professional Christians. That's not Christianity. That's not the church. And that's not what I would recommend you embrace. God has created, creatively gifted you. Christianity is an all play. It's an all skate. As part of our vision last year that we launched this 4D initiative, so we've written the Discovery and Deepen, and hundreds of you have already taken both of those. And uh, I'm so excited to say that the next one is actually now available for you to sign up. You can go to livewesting.info, and you can sign up. Just follow, I think it's the Grow tab, and you can follow that Grow tab. But the, alive, uh, the Define area does this. The, the Define area will help you find your spiritual gifts and your personality, your, 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 the way you're personally, personally wired. Those two things will actually help us through that, through that section of the 4D section, the, the whole Define place. And so I'd recommend you do that. I'd recommend you sign up and be a part of it. Others of you are like, you know what, Tom? I'm ready now. I'm ready to move forward now. And so I would say, well, if you're ready right now, then one of the things that you could do is you can actually send out an email. You can send an email. I think I got it somewhere coming up soon, I hope. There it is, yes. Uh, we've got an email that you can send to info And you say, Tom, I know I'm gifted. I know I have certain gifts. I just didn't know how to get connected. There it is. You send an email to that. And if one of our staff people does not contact you this week, Come tell me next Sunday. And we will resolve our issues. This staff is just as committed to it as I am. So right now, if you want to take the next step, go to livewesting.info and sign up for the, for, the, for the next defined class. And you can be part of our uh, brand new crowd, a brand new class to do that. Or if you're ready right now, we got places in the church that require a background check. Um, and they've got places that don't. So if you like have a background issue, great, glad you're here, um, but you are more than welcome to help. Uh, they're like, we can park cars. They'll even let me park cars with my situation. But anyway, we can go there and we can park cars, and uh, that's great, or you know, we can help uh, with some of the stuff that we have to do around the, around the building and all these kinds of things. Some places we ask that we do a background check and we're a little more clear about who works with our children. We do that uh, to protect the children. But nonetheless, we need you. We need everybody, every, every one of you, we need you. 
And as we come forward and do this, um, the church will be able to make a bigger splash in our community and more people will be able to sit at the table. Nothing takes place unless somebody says, we say, I'll serve. And that's why I wanted to end this particular morning with communion. Because this particular moment is, we're allowed to have this moment because Jesus said at one point he would serve. That's what he said. He said in Philippians 2, you can read about it, I'll leave the kind of heaven in order to become like them. And that enabled the Holy Spirit eventually to be able to live in us. And I hope that'll prompt our hearts. I need to serve somewhere. I need to give something. And I need to help someone so that everybody has a place at the table. Jesus, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for these folks and the kindness of they've extended to me as we've shared the last few moments. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, speak to our hearts. I know we're all busy. I know, I know, I get it. And yet, Lord, are we doing what we're created to do? I don't know. Are we doing what we're supposed to do? Are we self-centered? Are we other-centered? What are we doing as we're sitting at the banquet table of God? I feel like, Lord, so often I've spent my life just making sure I'm seated around the king's table. But I mean, thought about how other people might not be around the king's table. Not just my family. Of course I want my family. But what about people that I don't even know? What about people I don't know yet? Like maybe some of these people in the room. I don't know all of these people, Lord. But maybe all of us that are here, we pooled our resources and our gifts and we set a table. And maybe some of these people in the room will eventually be some of my closest friends. Maybe we'll walk each other through difficult times because the table's been set. And so we ask that we would kind of speak to our hearts. Lord, as we prepare for communion, I pray you would make this be the body and blood of Jesus Christ for us. I pray, Father, it would be a means of grace. And this time, as the flavors kind of come across our lips and across our tongue, we would indeed think about sitting at the king's table and what we've received in abundance. And it would prompt our hearts to make sure, am I serving somewhere, giving something, helping someone? In your name, amen.